when the, uh, uh, the great Christian apologist Francis Schaeffer wrote what was then a, uh, a pioneering book, Pollution and the Death of Man. In it, he told a story about a visit he made to an American Christian school in the 1960s. And across a small ravine from that school, um, it was the 60s, was a hippie colony. This colony had become famous locally for its uh, rumoured pagan rituals and uh, bacchanalian orgies. And uh, Schaefer being Schaefer, he crossed the ravine and struck up a friendly relationship with the leader who showed him around the commune in the woods, showed him the fields and the crops and even took him to the secret uh, place where they had their grape stomps and worshipped ancient deities. And then the uh, bohemian uh, hippie leader looked back across at the Christian school and said to Schaefer, look at that, isn't it ugly? Schaefer comments, it was. I could not deny it, it was an ugly building without even trees around it. And then he goes on. It was then I realised what a poor situation this was. When I stood on Christian ground and looked at the Bohemian people's place, it was beautiful. But then when I stood on pagan ground and looked at the Christian community, I saw ugliness. Here you have a Christianity that is failing to take into account man's responsibility and proper relationship to nature, said Schaefer. Now, there are many reasons why I proposed to the elders a number of months ago that we should do a series on the Bible and politics. There's a general election coming up and we need to be informed. I I have to say I have a wider and longer term concern that we need to think biblically about our responsibility and our role in the world. And I'm, I'm hoping that you will do that, not just now, but over the weeks and months and years to come. And I've produced the handouts um, uh, partly because I I really want, um, perhaps for some of you, to be the beginning of a voyage of discovery, of a deeper understanding of what the Bible says about our responsibility in the, the wider world. But I want to impress something on you very strongly uh, this morning. I'm not actually calling you to move away from the priority of direct Christian witness. I'm not saying, actually, that our evangelism sort of competes with our social responsibility and, uh, you know, you have to choose one or the other. I'm actually wanting to say, with Francis Schaeffer, precisely the opposite. I'm wanting to say, actually, that if our witness to Christ is not embodied and rooted, what the theologians say, uh, describe as incarnated in lives and communities that are transformed at every level, then actually our witness, 
will be useless. Relatively. I'm saying that actually that Jesus Christ will be glorified in this nation substantially only when up and down the country we see Christians who speak the truth about Jesus and live the truth and those two go together. Well, let me put it let, let me put it for you in another way because I think it's really really important. This is not a digression from main Christian priorities. This is a part of our priority to witness to Christ. What I'm been talking about and we'll continue to talk about in the next few weeks. Have you ever noticed that uh, read the New Testament letters and it's difficult to see much advice about evangelism? They're bits and bobs, but by and large the the New Testament letters are about living day-to-day lives worthy of the name of Christ about husbands and wives and masters and slaves and rich and poor. They're about building communities which reflect the glory of Christ in gentleness and forgiveness and humility and love. Are the apostles not interested in evangelism? Are they perhaps, is Paul perhaps saying, well, I'm the evangelist, I'll do the proclamation. You can read about that in Acts. But the churches that I build, they are just to, to, to maintain the Christians and keep them going. That's absolutely not what the New Testament is saying. Some are gifted as evangelists and will especially be gifted and set aside to preach the gospel. But the whole church, says the New Testament, ordinary Christians represent Christ. They are the body of Christ. They are the mouths, but also the eyes, the ears, the feet, the hands, the muscle of Christ. There is no tension. There is no disjunction between our verbal witness and our lives. They fit together from a biblical perspective to make a holistic whole Witness to Jesus Christ. And my aim for this series is that the peoples of East Oxford, when when they look across their little ravine, they won't look across and say, isn't that ugly? But they'll look across and see the beauty of Christ. So, This morning, um, let me tell you where we're going. I'm going to um, be relatively brief in uh, trying to establish that Christians, amongst other things, have a responsibility to care for the environment. I'm going to be brief on that because, first of all, two weeks ago, I hope I established for you our general responsibility to be concerned about this world and the management of its resources, and, uh, and that applies to the environment as much, uh, um, much as anything else. So, uh, I'll just try and sharpen and show you 
the specific emphasis on, uh, on the environment that the Bible has again and again. Then I want to talk about some practical things. And then thirdly, I want to tell you why I actually think that Christi- Christians in their DNA ought to be better equipped than any other group in the world to be pioneers in caring for this world. We ought to be, can we be? That's where we're going. So, uh, first of all, then, (coughs) let me um, try to answer this question. (coughs) Why should Christians be concerned about the environment? Uh, I'm not going to give you lots of information about the, the environment, uh, environmental issues right now. They're very important. Um, I would encourage you to read about them. I would encourage you most of all, get that book, Issues Facing Christians Today, by John Stott. Just, just a show of hands. Who owns the new edition of Issues Facing Christians Today amongst us at the moment? I'm shocked. Okay. Get it. You can buy it on, uh, 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 on the website. Uh, you really, really should get yourselves informed about this world and think biblically. So get Issues Facing Christians Today, the, the up, up, updated is, issue. I'll be, I will ask, alright, towards the end of the series, how many have got it? I would be profoundly disappointed if the majority of us didn't have access to a copy. Take it seriously. It's deeply serious. It's intrinsic to our mandate to this world to care for it. Let me, let, let me just demonstrate that for you quickly with the environment particularly in mind. In many ways, um, let me go back, um, in many ways Genesis 2 is the starting point for so many Christian reflections on so many issues associated with the environment. And they are many. Global warming is just the, 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 the most prominent one. For instance, Genesis 2 talks about environmental aesthetics, doesn't it? That, um, that uh, Schaefer was talking about. Did you notice verse 9? The Lord God made all kinds of trees growing out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye. God's delight in creating his world that James brought out with those pictures included his delight in making it beautiful. We, 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 we defile this world if we do not respect the beauty of his creation. Okay? Genesis 2 begins to introduce us to the idea of managing renewable resources. Um, the trees, <coughs> for instance, which are, are good for food. The beginnings of prototypical agriculture. God puts fruit trees out there. They chop them down for uh, uh, warmth on a cold night. They do not have any fruit It's the beginning of discussion about uh, a biodiversity. Did you see in verse, verse 19, it's very clear, the Lord God made all kinds of trees, or literally every kind of tree. 
everyone the Lord God made personally. Or in verse 19, now the Lord God had formed out of, out of the ground. Again, every kind of beast of the field and every kind of bird of the air. The, the glorious diversity of the, the natural environment that we live in is a, 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 a direct decision of the Lord God to make those 4,000 bugs that crawl into that man's garden. Okay? The Lord God, he says, made them. Do you know that, for instance, that at present the extinction rate of species, the disappearance of species at the moment, is somewhere between a hundred and a thousand times what it was, say, a thousand years ago. There are, there are species disappearing at an enormous rate, some of which we've never actually identified and seen. And do we not care? Because, well, we never saw them, so what do we miss? God saw them. God made them. It was in his wisdom that he created that biodiversity. I know there are natural extinctions, but we multiplied that out of all proportion. You think he doesn't weep? Or uh, what an increasing theme probably over the next few decades as, uh, with global, alongside global warming is going to be water rights. Yeah, verse 10 is quite interesting on that. A river watering the garden flowed from Eden. In other words, all water is a primeval gift of God. Desertification is a moral issue. When the countries at the, uh, 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 close to the source of the Danube were just pouring pollution into the Danube so that the countries lower down were, had a completely polluted and dead sea, that was a moral issue. And I'm de de delighted that actually it was Christians, in part, who campaigned to get an agreement along the whole stretch of the Danube to reduce, it, re reduce its pollution. Water rights are an issue. The pumping willy-nilly of water out of subterranean aquifers in the Sahara Desert, which will never be replenished in order to give British people early um, Egyptian potatoes, is a moral issue. Water is a gift of God. It's to be used and distributed and shared as God intends it to be. And if that gets on uh, in some ways to uh, um, our management of non-renewable resources. Did you notice verse 12? Lovely verse, I love it. The gold of that land, the land of Havilah, is good. Aromatic uh, resin and onyx are also there. In other words, God, in his wonderful creation, placed mineral resources around the world. And he said, there, you're free human beings to go to mine it and to make beautiful things out of gold and onyx and uh, so on. Beautiful smelling things. Aromatic uh, uh, resin as well. But, you know, do it. But it's mine. 
do not have absolute right over it. Dig up the gold and make a golden calf, an idol, and I'll have something to say to you. Dig up all the fossil fuel in the world so that a future generation doesn't have it at all and lives under a, under a burden of carbon dioxide such as this uh, world has not seen for, for millennia and I'll have something to say to you. I did create it. I did give it to you. But it's mine, says God. You used it as I say. And of course in uh, Genesis chapter 2 there is the beginnings of that general creation mandate that I, uh, I spoke of two weeks ago uh, as set out in, uh, in verse 15, isn't it? The Lord God took the man, put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. Adam was a gardener, okay, first of all. He was a manager of the environment. He was to work it. I said two weeks ago, you see that the, the, the naturalistic fallacy that says that the, the, the world is best if we don't do anything to it. Well, that, strictly speaking, is not biblical. It is to be managed. But... Uh, uh, Ah, it's very interesting the second word that uh, gets translated take care of it in Genesis 2.15. Let me read you some of the alternative um, uh, possible translations from um, a Bible dictionary. Keep it. I.e. cause a state or condition to remain. Guard it. Limit access and movement of persons or objects in and out, e.g. as in guard the tabernacle from intruders. Revere it as an extension of carefully guarding or caring for an object. Protect it, guard it, reverence it even as something precious given to you by God, as a manifestation of the glory of God. Look after it. The world, says the Bible, the world is holy ground. Holy, 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 said those angels to Isaiah. The whole earth is full of his glory. So our creation mandate then is very real and very specific in terms of our care for this world. And just in case you haven't got the message yet, let me, let me just 
just, just, and, and the Bible's full of texts we could go to, but let me take you to a couple of texts just to show you the breadth of God's concern for his world. Particularly, these texts show you that it is a concern for the world itself, not just because it's useful for us. Okay? Let, let me, for instance, encourage you um, to read the end of Job, uh, the book of Job, for me is one of the most glorious, sublime pieces of scripture that there is. Um, and on page 539 of the Church Bibles, we get um, uh, a speech from God. <coughs> God is challenging Job, um, effectively answering the, answering the question, well, don't you care for me? And God's answer is, actually, my care, Job, if only you could see it, is for you and explicitly for the whole of my creation. Of course I care. Look at verses 25 and 26 of um, Job 38, for instance. Who cuts a channel for the torrents of rain and a path for the thunderstorm to water a land where no man lives? a desert with no one in it to satisfy a desolate wasteland and make it sprout with grass. I care about things you've never seen and no human being has ever seen, Job. Or chapter 39. Uh, most of you know I was a vet before I was a pastor. This is one of my favourite veterinary Verses, uh, um, little verses in, in, uh, in the whole Bible and I hope you'll see why. Do you know, Job, when the mountain goats give birth? Do you watch the di- when the doe bears her form? Do you count the months till they bear? Do you know the time they give birth? They crouch down and bring forth their young, their labour pains are ended. The young thrive and grow strong in the wilds, they leave and do not return. Who let the the wild donkey go free? Who untied his ropes? I give him the wasteland as his home and the salt flats as his habitat. He laughs at the commotion in the town and he does not hear a driver's shout. He ranges the hills for his pasture and searches for any green thing and so on it goes. I care about that, 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 that wild goat that has never seen a human being. I even count the days till it gives birth. I do, says God. I care about untamable animals like the wild donkey. Not just the domestic ones that give you food, Job. Care about animals that you never heard of. One more verse. Joe, don't, don't bother to turn it up perhaps. Jonah chapter 4 verse 11. You've had... You've, You've studied Jonah. The last verse just completes it for me. Okay? Jonah has been told to go 
and preach to Nineveh so that they will repent. And uh, there's lots of shenanigans about that, but uh, it happened. And uh, uh, God at the end is speaking to Jonah about his care for Nineveh. Listen to what he says. Nineveh has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left. And many cattle as well. Should I not be concerned about that great city? Yeah, it's, it's absolutely right to be concerned for people, to be concerned for people to hear the gospel, to be concerned for human beings to be made, made whole. But we will not be fully biblical if we are not concerned about the cattle as well. Because God is... God's concern, then, is for his whole creation, and so should ours be. Just one final thing, I alluded to it um, again two weeks ago, but let me just demonstrate the, the, the environmental dimension to our future hope. Our future hope is of a recreation of a new heaven and a new earth, and that gets it, it gets described in uh, 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 in Revelation 21 and 22, uh, right at the end of the Bible. And um, although it's in figurative language, and we uh, we don't know exactly what God's new creation will be like, we do know it will be physical. We do know because it says so that it will be uh, one of the best ways we can understand it is in terms of a new city, a new Jerusalem. That's the description of this new creation in Revelation 21. But equally, it will be a new Garden of Eden too. Revelation 22 for instance, the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, uh, yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. God's first creation was a garden. God's last recreation will be a garden city. But from beginning to end, there is a concern, an interest in the whole of his natural creation. I haven't taken you to Romans chapter 8, which describes the whole of creation groaning, longing, for that day described in Revelation 21 and 22. The creation, as well as the people. So, I hope I have, I have sharpened that, um, that general perspective that I uh, set out um, two weeks ago. That we need to be people who are concerned for this World. Let me talk for a little while about practical action then that we might um, take. 
How are you going to respond to this biblical um, priority? Well, um, uh, let me make a few suggestions and um, uh, say, say a few things. It is possible to have an influence at a national and even international level. Um, the, uh, the first thing I would strongly recommend that you, you, you do is you take a bit of time just to make sure that you have in your mind what at least some of the key issues from your perspective are because it's a big subject. There may be things that really... Um, uh, motivate you. I don't expect every Christian to be thinking about exactly the same things. That's what it means to be the body of Christ. Together, we achieve more than we do as separate um, people. Global warming is a big issue. Um, if you want, for instance, to Look at the background to that, some of that. The John Ray Initiative, which is on your handout, is a very useful website. You'll see there, amongst other things, an article by John uh, Houghton, who is a senior Christian who was a member of the um, uh, IPCC, the International Panel of, on Climate Change, and he will explain to you why there has been the recent furore about um, uh, apparently hiding... Uh, things from from the general public. He uh, is very clear that it's vested interest, really. There may be, um, uh, uh, there may have been some problems with the IPCC, but the science is overwhelming. Find out about it. Read about it. Locally, and then get involved, write to your MP, etc., um, locally, uh, for me, I think the Bible says that uh, charity does begin at home, as the old saying says. Practical action does um, start locally. Um, several years, uh, on several years, we have just had a small team on an afternoon gone out and cleaned up the nature reserve. You would not believe how that has enhanced the reputation of this church in the local area. Um, uh, twice now, when, that, when we've just done that, I've had people stopping me in the street to say, thank you for doing that. Um, we haven't got anything planned this year. This is the time of year to do it. Does anyone want to volunteer to organise something? Um, and on that score, I would love to see one or two, perhaps a few people locally uh, here in the in the church, starting to do some thinking and recommending about what we what we could do as a church personally as well. There may be things that are not particularly church things, just you personally recycling, reducing your air miles, thinking about carbon offset schemes. Think about it. Get involved. Anyone is prepared to do some thinking for the church to help us think, please come to me and talk to me. I'm going to finish though just by very quickly in two minutes.
telling you why I think we as Christians really should be uniquely equipped to make a difference. We have a clear vision of what our role is to work for and care for work and care for the environment. We have a clear mandate from Jesus that loving our neighbour as, our, uh, as ourself is, is like the first commandment to love the Lord our God with all our heart and soul and mind and strength. Jesus told in Luke 10 the parable of the Good Samaritan when someone said, who is my neighbour? The message of the Good Samaritan is there are people out there who are doing better at loving their neighbours than you who claim to be believers. What are you going to do about it? Perhaps that applies to us. Jesus was equally clear the danger of greed. And if one thing is driving climate change, it is the greed of wealthy nations. Make no mistake about it. It is greed on a global scale. We can be different. Do we really need mange two peas at this time of the year that were grown in Kenya and flown here for our delight and delectation? And here, maybe you'll think I'm quirky, but here is my favourite. When Jesus rose from the dead, Mary met him. And for some reason she didn't recognise him. John says she was thinking he was the gardener. Of course, maybe just because that happened, because we don't need to doubt that it did. But John's a sophisticated author. Many theologians suggest that John wants just a place in our mind. This risen Jesus, he's like the first gardener. He's like Adam. He's looking after his world again. God's great project in your life is to conform you to the likeness of Christ. Wouldn't it be great if when the world thought about us, when the world thought about Christians, they said, they're just like Jesus. We're amazingly angry with them because they're just like Jesus in their commitment to telling it how it is and they're speaking of sin and, uh, uh, and so on. But we're amazingly respectful of them because they're just like Jesus in the way that they care for people, in the way that they love people and the way that they are committed to care for this world. I tell you, if our nation said that 
about Christians. Who knows what revival would break out?